Welcome to the Leadership Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Jono White. I'm the founder and principal consultant of Clarity. We are an Australian-based consultancy that works with leaders around the world, and our passion is to invest in people to become everything they're meant to be in order to fill the world with healthy organizations that people love to work for and customers line up to buy from. The goal of this podcast is to invest in you and your leadership. If you're just joining us for the first time, then feel free to check out consultclarity.org. That's our website, consultclarity.org. We have so many free resources on there. The most popular being our seven questions on leadership series. We've had more than 1,500 leaders from around the world in all different sectors give their in-depth answers on leadership, what books they love, what they found most challenging, uh, the most meaningful stories, how they how they structure their time through the day. That's free, so go and check it out. And we'd love to interview you about your leadership. I believe you have advice from your experience, your context, and your life so far that is important and can help other leaders. It's also a great way to give back. It's free to get involved, and you can do so by going to consultclarity.org forward slash seven dash questions dash interest, or just Google consultclarity.org seven questions interest and fill out the form that pops up. We have a free resource for you on our website. It's called Leadership Survival Guide. It's a 57-page ebook. It has interviews with 10 world-class leaders, and you can go to consultclarity.org. It's right at the top and get that today. Uh, we also have a daily email that we send out to over 15,000 leaders, and that email contains the highlights, our best content from our podcasts, our blog, uh, my book, uh, the books that we're loving that are out there about leadership, it's also the best way to get access to our masterclasses and workshops before anyone else. And there's also exclusive and limited uh, special options just for subscribers. And you can subscribe by going to consultclarity.org forward slash subscribe. Now, my gift to you is to work incredibly hard to provide the best leadership content I can to invest in you and your leadership. So if you're finding our content helpful, if you find this podcast helpful, then your gift to me uh, could be this. If you, if you do find it helpful, then write a review or rate our content and make sure you subscribe or follow. I can't emphasize enough how helpful that is. It really does help us to get the word out there so we can invest in more leaders to become everything they're meant to be. It also means a lot to me personally when people like you and people in our community share our content on social media. So if you do that, then please do look for me, Jono White, to tag me and look to tag Clarity uh, on whatever platform you're on. And our team, including me, I, I'm always looking to see when people have mentioned us so that I can engage with you. And also we look at sharing content. So if you if you write something about something we've done, there's also a good chance we'll share that with our followers. So if you could do that, that is a massive, massive help as we try to invest in as many leaders as we can around the world. Last of all, you can check out my book about how to deal with difficult people even if you hate conflict. It's called Step Up or Step Out. It's available on Amazon. You can just look up Step Up or Step Out John O'White or you can go to store.consultclarity.org forward slash book and check it out there. I 
have coached leader after leader after leader, and in more than 50% of the sessions, this topic comes up. How do I deal with this person? I'm finding it really difficult, and, and I just want to find a way that doesn't blow up to do a really, just to have a difficult conversation, to lead them better. How do I do that? There's a three-step process that I outline in this book that I believe can help you. Okay, let's get into today's episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast. Enjoy. Welcome to another episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast. Today's guest is Sama Saab, and Sama is the CEO of a company called Explorance. Uh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jonah. Nice to meet you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's great to meet and and to connect, and I'm, I'm excited to hear your story. Before we before we chat about that, um, can you just tell us a little bit firstly about what you do? Uh, absolutely. So I'm the founder and CEO of Explorance, uh, which is an organization that supports typically higher education institutions and enterprise to listen better to their students, to their employees, with the purpose of ensuring that they're providing them an optimized experience, engaging them well, and more importantly, ensuring that they're helping them drive some purpose and impact in their journey of employment or learning in life. So that's in general. Uh, we, we, we work globally. We even have uh, offices in uh, Melbourne and Jordan and uh, the UK and Chennai in India and Chicago and in Montreal where our headquarters are. And mm. I think it's been about 18 years since I founded the company. So we've kind of gone through a lot of nice phases as a bootstrapped organization. Yeah. Wow. Incredible. That was very succinct. And um, uh, such a, it sounds like a really interesting uh, organization. I love what you do because I think it's so important and uh, helping. It's one of the biggest challenges I hear from leaders is um, I, th- I feel like I often talk to them as a coach, as a facilitator, working with their team when they've realized they're out of touch with their with their people, whether it's students in, in a school or higher education. And so I think I love just from that perspective as someone who often comes in and works with leaders who say, I think we've missed the boat the past few years. We haven't really understood where our people are at. I can see why um, what you do is so needed. Yes, and it's very rewarding. And I think especially in this day and age where there's a lot of, you know, the paradigm is putting onus on, on employers to ensure that their employees are giving the best, the very best of them. And I obviously believe that at the foundation of that is listening, but continuously in the purpose of supporting them mm. with an extra dimension of ensuring they're also effective, right? And we don't just want people to be happy. We want them to be happy, useful, and fulfilled. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Uh, wonderful. So let's find out a bit about your story. To start with, uh, I'd love to hear, uh, Sama, I'd love to hear the you know starting out when you were when you were young from your childhood what were some of the moments or even themes that really prepared you and shaped you into the person and the leader you are today i think probably the most important characteristic is that 
since very early on, I was someone that would do really bad with authority. If somebody tells me what to do, it doesn't go well. And however, if somebody tells me a story of how it would impact them, my behavior would impact them, they would influence me into doing anything it takes. And that means I could suddenly be a top student when I haven't been for a while just because somebody enticed me to try to do it and then the teacher would think I'm cheating, but in reality it's just I felt that somebody motivated me, so I went for it. Uh, if I develop certain behaviors, my mom knew exactly how to handle me and she would come and she would uh, just tell me stories around this in terms of how it impacted others, etc. So I think this deep notion of influence, uh, empathy from very early on, all I could think is like kind of the feel the pain of every little creature or anything out there. And I would just imagine always put myself in the shoes of that little spider on the wall or anything. Say, so, you know, can you imagine how she sees me as a giant coming <laughs> after her and everybody's scared of that spider. And the third one is the resilience. You know, I come, I'm originally from Lebanon, so I lived the whole Lebanese war and I think that that part also was important where I saw how easy it is for people to bounce back and go back to normal life and you don't let major things bring you down as well. I think that combination of influence, empathy and resilience that is kind of foundational to to what I was able to achieve with, with Explorer specifically. Yeah, no, thank you for sharing that and I uh, appreciate you sharing a bit about your life and uh, and um you know, I, I'm, I'm really, uh, I really admire and, and just love hearing people's stories from childhood with all, and all of us have different challenges. And so I can only imagine growing up um, and seeing the resilience of people coming back and returning and, and living through a war, how that would um, affect you in leadership. Um, what, what were some of your earliest leadership opportunities? Do you remember the first time you really led a project or managed a group of people or picked something up and, and sort of ran with it? Yeah, ironically, uh, entrepreneurship, I started very early, which means coming up with ideas that I thought would make me rich, <laughs> which is not why I did Explorance, it's everything else. But uh, Explorance is the first company in my life where I actually managed people directly. So up till then, I didn't manage anyone. But I've always been somebody that succeeded to influence others in their role because primarily my roles were in project management and product management and uh, services based areas where my biggest challenge was how do I make people that don't report to me work for me? How do I convince them to achieve stuff? And I learned very fast never, yeah. to, never to tell them how to do something, try to tell them what to do and why it needs to be done and what happens if it's not done and what happens if it's done right. So that part started very early on. I kind of, I would say, since since school, you know, university and school, I played a lot with a lot of projects. I tried to, you know, uh, go into student societies and try to, you know, volunteer in that work. But after that, as I started the employment journey, I fluctuated a lot of, I you know, went through a lot of jobs in different companies, from companies that were massive, of, you know, that had maybe 100,000 employees and I kept on changing, you know, uh, roles, countries, companies, industries and functions within with companies of different sizes, like 100,000 and 20,000 and 
470, then 30. I always feel like as if I went <laughs> in a direction to reverse engineer a company, a large company, you know, try to see uh, what's there. I got the luck to be able to do an MBA in the first three years of my employment. So I was able to develop a critical eye where it didn't matter if the CEO of a 100,000 employee company said something, I would still look at it and question it and wonder whether it strategically made sense or not. And in parallel, I started a few companies. Uh, and each one of those, the minute it started doing well, I closed it right away because it just, they just didn't seem like stories of success that I wanted to tell. Uh, up to <laughs> excellence, where it felt right, everything lined up for it. And, and you know, when I went into it, I didn't look back because it's a story I can tell uh, that that I can be proud of, to not just what we achieved in terms of entrepreneurial success, but what it did, its impact, and how how I went about it. Uh, but mm. you know, I would say the underlying need I had in in general was I suffered unemployment, and the main reason I suffered is mm. because in most cases I was expected to do things in the name of business that didn't resemble what I would, the choices I would have made in my personal life. And eventually I really felt the need to get out, tried a lot with little things that I thought would get me out, but financially more than what they are. And then when I uh, started exploring, it just felt right. And that was the easiest shift I've done to put the employment world behind me and, and start something back in 2004. Yeah. Wow. Um, incredible. So, uh, one thing that comes to mind, I have so many questions for you because your your life and your business and your story, just even what you unpack there is uh, is so fascinating. Uh, so I'm trying to pick questions. One thing I want to ask is, if we come back to your childhood and growing up in Lebanon, um, that that's such a unique environment. And like you said, you, you learned so much about resilience. What did, what did you learn about leadership from growing up in Lebanon during that time that you that you feel you've been able to apply as a leader, particularly leading explorants and growing explorants? What lessons did you learn from that part of your upbringing? I, I learned a few lessons. Uh, you know, f first of all, obviously, there was no shortage and there still is no shortage of bad leadership in Lebanon. Uh, so, you know, you learn much more from mistakes and of others than you learn from, you know, textbooks. Uh, but in general, like with the life itself, there's a lot of, you know, one thing, like I said, that's really important is that concept that things will always be okay. Okay, that's the foundational thing. No matter how dark the tunnel is, I know for a fact, because it got hopeless at one point. And yet you look at it, you know, it started overnight and it ended overnight. Now, yes, there's a reminiscence of a lot of foundational problems in terms of corruption, in terms of uh, uh, lack of lack of structure and organization. Uh, it created elements of energy where you know, like to survive, you have to be a little bit, a little bit more uh, creative and a little bit less uh, communal, right? So these were the things I didn't like, and I don't think I could have ever built. And I, you know, I do love where I'm born, I love where, you know, it's a great country, great people. 
but still I would never have been able to build this product because I wanted to build something the right way. I wanted to build it in place that you can do that. Uh, I wanted to prove something because when I mean, you come from places that are kind of underserved where you lived a certain life and you, you join another part of the world, you're leaving everybody behind, you're leaving your habits, your culture, etc. You feel like you need to make up for it somehow. You need to make a point, you need to succeed. And success in general is something that is personal and in my case is something, you know, to be able to build something along the lines of what I dreamt. But I really think that the biggest two things is one is that notion of uh, being able to find a solution to any problem because you're on your own in, in the way the world was there. You know, everybody has to figure out their way, even today, by the way, in these regions. And the mm, second part sure. is that notion of yeah. there's always a light at the end of the tunnel, no matter what. Like we went into COVID, I didn't even flinch. I didn't even think for a second that it's going to affect us or something's <laughs> going to go wrong. I knew for a fact that it's going to, everything comes to an end and everything's going to be okay type of thing. And that's kind of foundational <laughs> thing that I gained from that experience in Lebanon. Yeah, that's a wonderful perspective. And um, it reminds me of that idea in the book, Good to Great by Jim Collins of um, the uh, the Stockdale paradox. He talks about this idea of the the paradox and, and the tension that uh, that we need to have where we we face the brutal facts of reality and we hold out hope the light at the end of the tunnel it's about holding both at once and that's what i hear in your perspective because i'm guessing that you didn't shy away from the reality of um the day-to-day numbers right of running your business through covid but you never once i that's something i hear in your story is that you've been able to actually face the brutal facts, but with the deep uh, hope, not that it'll be over in a month, but that it will end. It may not be tomorrow, it may not be in a month, but there will exactly. be an end. This too will pass at some point. Yeah. It, it, exactly. And, you know, obviously, you know, when it hit back in March of 2020, you know, I was the first one because that's another thing I'm equipped to do. You know, I think I closed Explorance two weeks before it was anybody was doing that because I smelled it, I felt it, I know what incoming problems mean. I came home, I told my my wife and uh, to let us take the kids and go to uh, our cottage away. We packed three months worth of supplies and we went there. Right? So I know how to take it very seriously. Then by June, when we realized that, you know, it's gonna linger, it's gonna take a while, you can, the world can stop. And it's not that we closed the company, we kind of closed the, uh, I think I said it the wrong way. We we moved everybody to remote overnight, basically, and it worked really nice. And then my approach was: I know that marketing's not going to need to be there. I knew that there's not much selling that would take place. So instead of making people live uncertainly, I said, you know what? Lessons from war again. That's more from World War II, for example. Let us have everybody focus on production until we know the market's going to pick back up. So what we've done is we've doubled down on service and product. So we literally spent two years having every single person at Explorance doubling down on making our products <laughs> 10 times better, our service stronger. We didn't lose m- much of anything. So we kind of built something around <laughs> resilience. And then mm. obviously, you know that, you know, once th- that's the mindset, it's not even hope, it's you know it's going to be better. Instead of 
lingering about it. I don't want to be in denial. I don't want to act like it's not going to happen. We know it's happening, but we can prepare for that better day that comes. And today that we learn this, we need to prepare also that if it ever happens again, we're going to figure out a way to thrive and not just survive type of thing. So that's kind of my new obsession now. Yeah. How do we how do we structure uh, an organization that if you get hit by a recession in two years or whatever, we're the most attractive business and employer mm. during that time? Yeah, no, I love that. I, I, I love everything about what you just described. I think um I think uh, that is an incredibly wise approach. Um, I, I want to go back to the start of Explorance. You said something really interesting, which is that in your previous roles, you'd never had to really lead people. You had to, you had to persuade people who weren't reporting to you to work with you really well, which is actually a really similar skill set. <laughs> I feel like in some ways to actually leading yeah. people because it, it's so much about. Um, you know, that, that storytelling, which you, you talked about and really helping people buy in what, what were your biggest learnings starting Explorance when you first started having your own direct reports and you first started having uh, a small group, then a larger group of people that you were actually felt responsible for and you were leading, what, what were your biggest challenges and, and learnings through that season? Well, I, I'm still learning a lot, right. In terms of people management to be candid. Uh, I, I think in terms of pure leadership, in terms of influencing, motivating, leading, directing, uh, yes, you know, this is kind of something because I had to do it most of my life. So when I went into Explorance, I had a very natural way to be able to convince people to join a lot, you know, a few people joined and they took half pay cut when they joined Explorance. Then I realized that because people are sacrificing to join and that's the empathy part i said you know i have to make sure that i'm balancing that so i ended up being the least paid employee at explorance for at least i would say the first eight to nine years of the company and the reason and my justification was i cannot in good faith expect people to sacrifice to join and follow if and they're paid less than the market would pay them if i don't do the honorable thing to say until we get there I will remain somebody that's actually taking a making a bigger sacrifice. So I found that the most natural thing for me was to motivate, to sell the direction, the vision, what we can do, but more importantly, to lead by example and actually be very honorable and honest. And I think, you know, obviously I could, I remember I had some employees where I could hear a lot of people, you know, try to, because lots of suffering. I think the first year and a half we were 17 hours a day, every single day, no exception. Uh, it's bootstrap. I had $55,000. That's all I had to, to start this business. And I could see, you know, people, you know, people that had relatives or, you know, that would call them and say, Hey, you know what, uh, is that person going to take advantage of you? We're working too hard. It's not worth it. It's not going to go anywhere, stuff like that. So obviously my job was, you know, motivation, motivator in a chief motivator, I need to make sure that I'm in the trenches. I was doing training, I was doing the documentation, I was traveling and deploying systems at customers. I was playing a hundred roles and supporting people where they were. And sometimes, you know, I wouldn't even have something, but I made sure that I'm the first employee to come in, the last employee to leave every single day. So I compensated a lot with a very warrior-like approach in order to make sure that the trust was there and that I can motivate with fewer or sheer resilience and, and support for them. Where mm -hmm. I struggled is 
being able to hire right, you know, like I think in, at the beginning you take what you get because that's what you can afford. I got some fantastic people at the very early stage, but as that as you evolve and you get to choose, I kind of still took on people that you discover had issues and somehow I was going to go and try to save the day, that notion of heroism or whatever. So I think, you know, the notion of yeah. make sure you bring the right people, the right fit, make sure that you're supporting people, uh, the right people, make sure that you're ending stories with the people fast enough uh, so that you kind of don't distract their career path was not working, but at the same time hurt uh, the evolution of the organization. So I think there, you know, there was, there was struggle. I had struggled with, and actually like the title, of one of your book, the, you know, like the, uh, uh, the, the one where, you know, like you either, you know, the, you either move a step forward or you get out, get up or get out. Oh, I don't maybe I got Ah, uh, yes. Yes. Uh, step up, step, step up, up or you. step Thank out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The step up or step out. I've actually been using that sentence a bit recently. That notion I think is very important and it's something that took me time to be able to start applying in that way so i really think it's all around if you didn't get the right person how fast do you uh, do you make it uh, work and the other stuff is that mm. expectations are gonna be you know are you know in general they're pretty they're pretty harsh because we're always way we always want to be way ahead and to continuously be ahead it means you're always running and when you're always running sometimes you're favoring speed over building yes. and i think these are kind of the second part of the pressures in terms of you know what kind of people do you bring do you bring runners do you bring builders do you bring a mix how do you manage everybody how do you support these levels of people that need management etc so me my you know these were more the challenges that i found but in terms of pure influence-based leadership empathy-based leadership uh, this this was a, this is a joy and by the way we don't have any policies at explorance so nobody can force somebody to do something they don't want to do right so to begin with even if somebody reports to me today if they don't agree with something that i ask them to do they don't have to do it i have to find a way to convince them to influence them to make them feel they're part of it uh, so that that part that's innate mm. in me is something that's become a very foundational part of Explorance today where we have very empowered people that feel that if they make decisions or do things it's just because they agree or they agree to disagree and they choose to to do it but not feel forced to do something because somebody told them to how does that how does that um work in the day-to-day -day practical sense like um how do you how have you created a culture where people do that? Because I can, I understand what you're saying, but I'm, I'm mm -hmm. imagining yeah. that a lot of organizations wouldn't be able to pull that off. So what, what does it actually look like for, for people to do that day to day? Yeah. And I, I do believe that a lot of organizations will have a big problem if they're big enough that, you know, if you introduce it a bit too late, I could see how problematic it is. You know, in our case, I think I introduced the notion of culture of trust and reciprocity which is I don't want to expect from you something you I, you can't expect from me as an employer. When we were still about 17 employees, I think I had an HR person at 13. 
employees, right? So like from the very beginning, I ensure that I'm instilling that notion that's not following the textbook of HR, where we're going in and saying, we want people that are willing and able to improve. I don't care where your starting point is, as long as this is it, that's great. And then when we bring these people and we're liberating them, saying, you know, I'm not going to tell you how much time off you need, you take the time off that you need. Uh, we're not going to come and agree in a year in advance what you should achieve a year from now and then based on that give you a raise, we're going to tell you, tell your own story of success at the end of the year so we can discuss what it means. I'm not going to force you to do something, we're going to convince you to do something. So along these lines, it's like mm. we, it, it was very fluid at the beginning, obviously. And a lot of people say, yeah, this is great. It will work up to 100 employees, but then it won't work. We got to 100, we struggled a bit, then it worked. We acquired the company a bit later, and then we moved to 250. And still it worked. Of course, after a lot of struggle of integration and all these things, today we're about 325, and it's still working. Now, of course, when I think of 1,000 or 2,000 or 5,000 employees in my mind, say, how do you productize an informal culture? And a lot of discussions, a lot of uh, reflections have been going for years now in terms of how do we allow this way of doing where you're putting the exception before the rule and the human before the task as the foundation of our culture. And the main approaches that I followed, like I said, first is all the HR people that we've done are homegrown. So the people that didn't come from the textbook HR world so that we don't bring these practices that are very well, well known. Second is approximately our complete management layer are people that were promoted into these roles at the management layer. Uh, I used to run CEO leadership programs for managers and non-managers as we we're beginning to make sure that we're spreading that at very early stage at all layers, you know, skipping levels to make sure that nobody's agenda changes or mm -hmm. disrupts it. Where we struggled is where we brought people from outside at higher levels. Because you're bringing people where the foundation of their success was driven by authority. They would come and they could control, they know if people could take time off or not. They could tell them what to do. They could threaten them to achieve certain performance levels. They could make them fear for their job and all these kind of things. And these were the tools that in general, in today's world, I maybe up to two years ago, up before the great resignation or anything like that. These were the tools that people had in their hands to successfully manage people, right? So when we got these people, on average, it took about two years to get somebody to be able to learn how to support that. And an anecdote is the minute wow. I introduced that, I had mm -hmm. one of the VPs at the time, which managed the support team, it was a small support team, we're not that big yet. He came to me uh, and he said, you know, Samer, you're, you're policy of no vacation is stupid. And I told him, why do you, why do you say that? He said, well, I have five people in my support team and uh, all of them took vacation at the same time and I cannot say no. I said, then the failure is yours and not theirs or, or the policies because if you had instilled in them self-consciousness, uh, self, uh, if you instilled in them a sense of community, mm -hmm. if you instilled in them a sense of responsibility, Chances are they would never take time off at the same time. And, you know, today he's probably one of the best leaders in that kind of environment where Florence is, but it took two years where 
they were resenting me and I had to continue, you know, constantly remind <laughs> everyone of their rights to ensure that no VP will come and try to crush that part in their silo, let's say. So, yeah, I don't know how it's going to look like mm -hmm. at 500 or 1,000 or 5,000. I know we need to productize it. Uh, I owe a bigger manifesto around that. I owe a lot of things uh, in terms of the vision that I see for it. But it's been fun. And, you know, just to give you an example, in the last 12 weeks, we got six people that came back to Explorers that had left us. So we're starting to experience the great return right now at a time where the world <laughs> is looking at the great resignation. So there is something underlying that's very interesting in liberating people and making them responsible and accountable for their contribution. Yeah. No, I love that. Uh, I love that approach. I think, I think a couple of things you said really resonate with me. Uh, the two years, I, I would say for leaders who are listening, if you really want to create a culture and values that is countercultural, like truly different, like what you're doing, um, Summer, then I think you, you need to expect that the people who are already there or people who come externally, sorry, I think two years would be my, my gut feeling for how long it takes. Um, not now, if your culture is pre, is not that different, it can be shorter, but if you're really trying to do something where you have a different DNA, different culture to a lot of other organizations that sits really right with me as a time frame, which I think people need to look at carefully. Cause if, that's the advantage of promoting internally if you are a really unique organization in your values is that, you know, you need to stop and think, okay, am I, am I prepared to do this two year journey to get, to get someone really on side? And sometimes the answer will be yes, but other times it's worth upskilling someone internally and really investing in them because you know, you don't have that big time, um, you know, intensive time and energy and, and money investment over you know two years to really help people get on board. Absolutely, and uh, the there is the there's always a risk where somebody could cause short-term damage to on the culture and create confusion too. So for sure, the upscaling piece is is very powerful, and the beauty of it is at the size we're at now, we reach a point where a lot of the talent we're getting except in the areas that we know we've never been strong at. Most of the talent or going all the way to the C-suite is actually homegrown. And in some cases, because remember, my, I always remind myself that I went from have not, never having managed anybody to starting my own business that today I have, you know, let's say 325 people reporting to me and I can easily handle 5,000, you know, as we grow, like I feel it, right? And now what I do is like, you know, I have some, a couple of C-level employees that have moved from being an individual corporate contributor to a C-level in one shot. Because that's the beauty is I don't need people who have learned mm. how to manage people. I need to find people who know how to influence others. And then you can put them at the top mm. because everybody else knows how to run on their own and they're not looking for it, you know, to be managed. And you just need, you just yeah. need real leaders that are strategic, that are sound in execution, that have some level of empathy and just mm -hmm. run with them. So it's, it's a pretty interesting size for it yeah. again they take it with a lot of caution that we need to always yeah. revisit i'm not obsessed about it it got transformed many times along uh, the years we're just going to see where where it goes and how far it goes and what does it look like as time evolves and that the company evolves yeah absolutely uh, i i think it's really interesting 
so uh, Samu, as, as you look back over the 18 years of experience, are there any aha moments that really stand out to you? Any moments that are ingrained in your memory because it was a, a, a real leadership lesson, something you learnt that um, whether something went really well, better than expected, or something went really terribly or something something else that just really you'll never forget because it taught you something that, that's really stuck with you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, lessons continue. Uh, I would say, you know, the the most interesting realization was I think when we were about 70 employees and I, I usually walk to work. It's a 35 minute walk. So that's what I do my reflection. Uh, and I was walking and it hit me that there were 70 families that needed to get paid because they depend on how well Explorers does and really how effective my leadership is. And it was really at this size that I got this sense of responsibility that was crippling, right? So that was my my first growing up type of thing where before it was just Braveheart, you know, let's run and do this and do this. And then one day it shifted to being a responsibility, right? And that kind of changes a lot the the way decisions are made, the way things are done. So that's that's one of them. Uh, the I would say the second one is personal life balance is when I got my my first kid and I'm sure you can associate with that is I usually actually I I was the salesperson that was developing the Australian market. Uh, and to be effective, I used to put my alarm to ring every two hours at night so that the people I was trying to support or sell into don't feel the time zone difference on top of my my day job. And I remember before my daughter was born, <laughs> I was still able to manage all that where it worked well. And then when my daughter was born, it's like she's waking up all the time. And then I was running out of opportunity to be able to find the bandwidth to kind of do my do my job at the time. And I remember I was working with my coach and, uh, you know, I'm sharing with him and I'm thinking he's going to just be empathetic and tell me, oh, sorry to hear you figure it out. And he point blank asked me, so how many hours a night do you sleep? I said eight. He said, well, learn to sleep five. And <laughs> for years, I think I slept between <laughs> maybe four and five, you know, four and barely five hours. So that was my second lesson is that time is elastic. And you can do so much. You know, I play mm. squash, and sometimes I realize that if you know how slow that ball is in bouncing, you will never miss a shot type of thing. This is very similar. It's very elastic. You can fit a lot in time. And I used to start doing that notion of my, I used to call it my night shift. So instead of waking up for 20 minutes every two hours, I suddenly started doing my 2 a.m. to 5 a.m. Uh, and suddenly it became my productivity zone. And it worked and it's okay and mm. I'm still alive and I'm still healthy and I got to wake up with my kids. Mm. So, you know, that's the second part. That's the balance. And finally, it's about that notion which, uh, around candor, you know, like the being able to give harsh feedback, to be able to take a bit of a harsher stance. That's kind of as my CFO joined us uh, in 2016. He constantly brought that pressure on. It's like questioning about, you know, uh, why do I allow this? Why do we not allow that, etc.? And that kind of was my third phase of growing up, of actually realizing that beyond responsibility, there is accountability. Today, I'm in the world of governance. Today, 
you know, I've just, we just built a new board. We're trying mm. to look at the world where I kind of, I'm accountable towards someone or something, you know, and it's, it's a new experience mm-hmm. for me. But really for me, these are all evolution points where, you know, you hit something new and we embrace it and we learn from it. And uh, hopefully on the other side of it, we'll be stronger and humbler. Yeah, no, well, well said. Um, thank you for sharing those aha moments. There's some great Great thoughts in there. Well, as we wrap up, I've got a few questions to ask you, uh, Samar. I've got some Leadership Express questions. Are you ready? <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> okay, the first one is, what's a book that you've gifted to other people? Uh, the From Paolo Coelho, The Alchemist. Yes, I've had that recommended. I haven't actually read it myself, but I've had uh, people people rave about that book. So uh, another that's that's one of the few that I've had recommended more than once. So great recommendation, thank you. No um, what about right now? Are you in the middle of reading any books? Are there any podcasts you're really loving at the moment? Any uh, any journals or any blogs that you're a big fan of right now? Uh, I'm actually enjoying uh, TV series, ironically. Uh, about Uber, I think it's called Super Pumped Uber, and that's it's a massive lesson in business success and failure and human success and flaws, and I'm enjoying it a lot. So that's my kind of thing that's inspiring me the most now as I'm checking it and I'm checking, you know, I'm learning something. I'm learning a lot from it, ironically, and I'm even thinking to share it with my executives yeah. to looking at it. So. That's the biggest thing. Oh, I'll have to check it out. Yeah, it's very, it's amazing because my obsession in life is how do I be the leader that never gives up on the people that help you succeed because you never succeed alone, right? And this is textbook of showing major lessons in audacity and success, a genius. And then you have that second part that you want to also learn to avoid in your life. And I find it very very inspiring as a story and it's very very well done movie show so what's it called again i think it's called super pumped uber it's on uh okay showcase wonderful thank you great recommendation as well uh what uh, do you have any favorite questions that you ask? You're in a one-on-one with one of your staff or you're in a in a team meeting with your executive team or running a workshop with them, with uh, some stakeholders. Any favorite questions you like to ask people? Well, lately I've been in a mood uh, to ask, ask people instead of question, asking them to make shit happen. Uh, so whoever asks me a question, just go make shit happen. And my main theory is I think we've <laughs> developed this habit of asking a lot of stuff during COVID and waiting for tomorrow. And I'm reaching a point where it's like, just like, just make shit happen. So I, I think it's less question asking more than more asking people to make shit happen. Yeah, yeah, I like that. <laughs> I think that's a nice tension to the other side of asking questions is when someone asks you a question, being the sort of leader who's not afraid to, to say, you know what, don't worry about asking me, just just go and make it happen. Love exactly. It. Um, any, what is a commonly held belief in leadership or management that you passionately disagree with? Uh, I, well, obviously I believe in a lot of, I, I'm actually 
believe in this whole thing should be disrupted, right? The first biggest notion is when you hear the notion of, you know, it's in the name of business, uh, putting a rule ahead of an exception, you know, trying to generalize, trying to read textbook stuff and apply them, thinking it always works. I say that if business and leadership was textbook, then everybody should be a great leader or every business should be great. So in, in general, it's around around these notions. But the biggest one for me is the the way you reach what you define as success. To me, is the most important thing. It's that journey, that road. And the cleaner and the more filled with integrity that road is, the more people can tell a story and be aspired to. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of leaders uh, favor the end uh, and make the end justify the means. Mm, yeah, no, that's uh, I, I like that. That's a good perspective. What's a recent leadership lesson you've learned for the first time or been reminded of? A recent lesson. Actually, it's from that show I'm watching. You know, like, whether I dislike or like the person, I just look at the level. Like, I've always thought that I was audacious. But I've seen the different level of audacity, you know, like when you introduce Uber to the world and the cities are against you and the law is against you and the biggest, uh, you know, taxi associations and mafias are against you. And it just kept on moving. Like there was no wall that stopped him. The biggest realization I got that I found extremely humbling is that there are so many levels of audacity and the more audacious a person can be while being wise because i think that's where this failed uh, the better is and this is another thing that i realized time is elastic and audacity is limitless and i you know i i actually don't think i'm that audacious right now so it's, it's where my mind is flowing saying wow that's a lot of courage a lot of ambition it's very inspiring <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely uh what about a great piece of advice you've received it could be about leadership but it could just be about life at some point where someone gave you a piece of advice that's uh, that's really stuck with you? Uh, it was a long time ago. Uh, again, you're going to see it's going to sound like a broken record here, but I was at Nortel and I went for a training session in Florida. And we heard that, that the, our VPHR is going to visit us during the training session and we're all excited. So we're waiting for him. He shows up, looks at us and says, I'm just going to tell you one thing. He said, don't ask for permission, ask for forgiveness. And he left. And this became my biggest motto, and I always say it everywhere. And the premise really is about it matches that makes it happen now. But that was a much more eloquent way to say it, is that if you think it's the right thing, just do it and apologize later. Don't get permission for anything you need to do. And that's that's my <laughs> thing I run with. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, I, I really, uh, I really like that. Um, I don't do it with my wife. <laughs> don't ask but for. I do it with everybody else. <laughs> yeah, yeah. With everybody else. Don't ask for yeah, permission. There's no forgiveness there. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's great. Um, okay, last question. If you could only give one piece of leadership advice to a young leader, what would you say? Well, I say the most important thing is to make sure to get started, make sure that what the leader is doing is something they're proud of, that you're not gonna 
because I tried businesses and I would say, oh, you ask me, what is it in? I say, oh, it's in the entertainment business, let's say, right? You want to be able to say what it is. You want to be able to feel its impact. Uh, and and more importantly, is to make sure that it, it truly resembles you. And I think, you know, in general, the only business that felt easy for me to start and I refer to it as walking on water was Explorers because I was able to build it to my image. It represents exactly in terms of what we sell and who we are you know, there's no identity crisis. And I didn't leave any safety net, you know, because it felt right. There's one of, not one of those where you go in and say, you oh, let us see how it works or it doesn't work or hedge. And, you know, I, I think for me, the most important thing is take a role where your purpose is fulfilled, take a role where you're allowed to live and lead the way you are, mm. and you'll be very happy and successful. Anything else is just a role because it's the right. It's a nice company that I always wanted to work at. I like the title. It's because I'm going to have so many people reporting to me, or just because I'm going to report to someone. In general, is not enough of a motivator for success. Yeah, yeah. Well said. Uh, well, for those who've really enjoyed your approach to leadership and want to follow you or find you online or find out more about Explorance, where can people find you and Explorance online, Samma? Yeah, Explorance is simple. It's explorance.com. Uh, so that's the, the main website. And for me, the main, uh, the main uh, place would be through LinkedIn. And uh, it's linkedin.com slash Samersal. So it should be an easy one. Excellent. Well, I want to thank our listeners for tuning in. I already can tell this is going to be one of the most popular episodes because Samma's approach uh, to COVID, approach to leadership generally at Explorance is fascinating. And I think a lot of people are going to be intrigued and listening in and and going away with a lot to ponder, which I just love. Um, so for our listeners, don't forget, I also have the John O'White Leadership Podcast and the Leadership Question of the Day podcast, two different places you can also go to invest in your leadership. But I want to finish today by saying a massive thank you to Samus Saab for uh, just being so generous with your time and sharing some of your story with us and your the, the unique way that you lead and with what you're doing at Explorance, which I, I really admire your courage um, and your audacity. As you said, I think you are audacious and um, in the best way and uh, yeah it's just been it's been wonderful to get to know you and explorance a little bit thanks for coming on the podcast same here John. thank you very much for your time and uh, i look forward to reconnecting well i hope you enjoyed that episode of the leadership conversations podcast as much as i did if you're joining us for the first time don't forget to check out consultclarity.org. That's our website, consultclarity.org. We have so many free resources on there, including our seven questions on leadership series. We've had more than 1,500 leaders from all over the world in all different roles, in different industries, answer these seven questions on leadership. And leaders give these in-depth answers around how they spend their time, uh, a book that's been significant for them. It's just a gold mine. It's completely free to access. So go to consultclarity.org and look for that. We'd also love to interview you about your leadership. I believe your experience, your life, your context means that you have advice on leadership that other leaders can learn from. 
yes, you, if you're going, not me. Well, no, I really believe you would have something to add. So if you're looking for a way to give back, it's completely free to get involved. And we would love to interview you through the seven questions on leadership. You just go to consultclarity.org forward slash seven dash questions dash interest or Google consultclarity.org seven questions interest and fill out the form and get involved. We have a free resource on our website called the Leadership Survival Guide. It's a 57 page ebook, 10 world-class leaders giving their thoughts on leadership and that's completely free. It's available on our homepage, consultclarity.org right at the top. So make sure you go and get that and download it today. And we have a free daily email that you can subscribe to. We send this out to over 15,000 leaders from around the world. And uh, it contains the highlights of content from our podcasts, our blogs, um, our books, books we're reading. It's got the best content and it gives you exclusive, limited, early access to our masterclasses, workshops, new products, special offers. It's all for our subscribers. You can go to consultclarity.org forward slash subscribe and join 15,000 other leaders And you know, my gift to you is to work really hard, particularly through the Leadership Conversations podcast. I have been blown away by the quality of the leaders and I'm learning as much as anyone in doing these interviews. So I'm having a great time. And my gift to you is to keep lining up the best leaders I can to invest in your leadership. Your gift to me, if you're finding this helpful, there is something that you could do that would help us out massively. And that is to write a review and to leave a rating for our podcast or wherever you're watching or listening to this, I can't tell you how much that helps us out. Also subscribe or follow. It really does make a difference in helping us to help more leaders become everything they're meant to be. Another thing that means a lot to me personally is when I see our community share our content. So if you do share this or any other piece of content on social media, then thank you and and please do that. And look for me, John O'White, or clarity and tag us in your post. Our team is always looking for posts to engage with from our community. And there's also a chance that we'll share your content uh, to go beyond and share it with our followers. Last of all, you can check out my book. It's called Step Up or Step Out, How to Deal with Difficult People Even If You Hate Conflict. I wrote this book because 50% of the coaching sessions I have with leaders, this topic comes up again and again and again. And it's this idea of how do I have this difficult conversation? How do I lead this person better when I'm finding them difficult? Or in some cases, you look and you say, I think I might be leading a difficult person. They're just quite difficult to lead or I'm finding them quite difficult to lead. So there's a three-step process that I unpack in Step Up or Step Out. And the amazing thing, and I've literally done this myself and I've heard it anecdotally from other leaders as I've coached them, is that if you follow this process, you will see that person step up and change their behavior or make a decision, which is to step out some of the time. Uh, 95% of the time, people will step up or step out in just four weeks. And I stand by that. It's uh, You have to read the book to understand, but uh, I really do believe in it and I've experienced it firsthand. It works. So you can go to Amazon, look up Step Up or Step Out John O'White or store.consultclarity.org forward slash book. Well, thank you so much for listening. We're going to be back with a new episode next time of the Leadership Conversations podcast. And I hope today has helped you to take another step towards becoming the leader you're meant to be. See you next time.